0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Uh, well, good morning, church. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts 14. We're going to be continuing our journey through the book of Acts as we look at when the gospel goes. If you're using one of those church Bibles, we're going to be on page 980. Then everything's in those U, the YouVersion Bible app as well. As you're kind of making your way over there to Acts 14, I need to let you know I have kind of a weird confession this morning for you. Uh, As I was preparing preparing my message, I was thinking, for whatever reason, I was reminded of the 1960s Batman television show. Anybody watch the 1960s Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward? I grew up watching that Batman show. Let me clarify. I grew up watching reruns of that Batman show. But when I was a kid, I used to love watching 1960s Batman. I loved those episodes. And one thing I was reminded of this week is each week when a new episode would come on, a voice in the background would come on saying, the last time we saw our cape crusader. And then he'd go on to explain what had happened last week so that viewers would be reminded of what had happened on the last show. I was reminded of those iconic introductions as I opened my Bible this week and prepared my message this morning as we look at Paul and Barnabas here in Acts chapter 14. So if you were with us last week or you watched Pastor Brian's sermon online, then you might remember that when we last saw our gospel crusaders, <laughs> they were shaking the dust off their feet and heading out on their way to Iconium filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now this morning, we get the opportunity to tune in at the same gospel time and on the same gospel channel to see what happens next to our apostolic adventures, Paul and Barnabas. Not only in Iconium, but we're also going to see what happened to them in Lystra as well. So as we sit back and enjoy this special two-part episode (laughs) of their gospel adventures this morning, it is my hope that we see how the Holy Spirit sustained Paul and Barnabas through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad, for the work of ministry. If you're taking notes today, that's the main point I want us to see from God's Word this morning, that the Holy Spirit sustained Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. The Holy Spirit sustained them for the work of ministry to the point that even in the face of incredible hardship and persecution, Paul stood firm and remained committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to unpack our text here in Acts 14 into two different sections. We're going to look at these first 20 verses, but first we're going to look at verses 1-7. through 7, Then we're going to look at verses 8-20. through 20. And throughout both scenes, or both sections this morning, we're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to a broken and a dying world. But before we do, I'd like to just take a minute to pray for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to gather together, Lord, to open our Bibles, to hear from you as we read and study your word today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just flow through us this morning, that it would open our minds and ears to hear your voice today. Lord, use me in that all the time i've spent this week lord that this time together would be edifying for each one of us here today may we leave here changed by the power of the gospel and motivated by the example we see in paul and barnabas to stand firm in good times and bad and in ugly situations and proclaim the gospel to all those that we come in contact with it's in your holy and precious name lord i pray amen all right church let's tune in together now shall we And look at what happens to Paul and Barnabas on their adventure in Iconium. When we last left our gospel crusaders, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, and they were headed to the town of Iconium. Then in Acts 14.1, it says, In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue, as usual, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe, into the surrounding countryside. There, they continued preaching the gospel. Church, did you see the good, the bad, and the ugly here in these first few verses today? Here in these first seven verses of Acts 14, we can clearly see the good and the bad and the ugly that coincides with proclaiming the gospel. Paul and Barnabas arrive on the scene here in Iconium, probably not in a Batmobile, but here they are, And they enter the synagogue as usual, Luke tells us. They speak with such boldness that Jews and Greeks hear the gospel message and they believe. Praise God! How great is that? This isn't just good, this is great. Unfortunately, the unbelieving Jews in Iconium aren't happy. So, rather than marching off into the corner to sulk, they instead stir up the Gentiles and even poison their minds against our brothers in the faith. Paul and Barnabas, can you feel the tension in the air? The Jews are not happy with what's going on, and they're going to do whatever they can to put a stop to it. To the point that they poison the minds of the others against us. Scripture tells us. Talk about a bad situation! I can hear the narrator's voice in my head. Does this mark the end for our gospel crusaders? Absolutely not. In fact, it's just the opposite. Rather than leaving at the first sign of danger, Paul and Barnabas hunker down, and they stay there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. Not only that, but they were also able to perform signs and wonders that testified to the gospel message that they were proclaiming. These signs and wonders that they performed did not come from their own superhero powers. Paul didn't have any gospel spray. He didn't have a gospel belt with sequins on it full of various tools like Batman did. And amazing as all the stuff that Batman had was, Paul had something a hundred times better. Paul was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't perform any of these miracles in Iconium by his own power. It was by God's power and might. These signs and wonders didn't point to Paul's abilities, but to God's abilities. It's important that we notice that distinct difference in our story today. Everything that Paul and Barnabas were able to accomplish was through the power of the Holy Spirit, that was sustaining them for the work of ministry, even when the enemy was actively working against them and their gospel proclamation. And if you've ever had times where you feel like everything is working against you, you're not alone. The same thing happened here to Paul and Barnabas. Even so, despite all their setbacks, looking at everything we've just read so far, it still sounds pretty amazing. Think about how incredible all of this is. Paul and Barnabas have come to a new town. They're proclaiming the gospel and almost immediately see several people saved and converted. If that happened today, that'd be incredible. Then, when the going gets tough, rather than giving up, they press into Jesus and they continue preaching and teaching and performing signs and wonders in Christ's name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, despite all that God is doing in Iconium, The city was still divided. Verse 4 tells us that the people in the city were still divided against each other. Some siding with the Jews and others siding with the apostles. So in light of this division, an attempt is made by both the Jews, the Gentiles, and their rulers to mistreat them and to stone our gospel crusaders. So what do these guys do? Do they stay and fight? Do they just give up and go back to Antioch? Neither. They just keep moving forward. Paul and Barnabas hear about the plot to stone them to death and they decide to get out of there and head to the next town in Lystra and Derby. The best part of everything we've just read, my favorite piece here is verse seven. There they continued preaching the gospel. They weren't deterred. They stayed on their mission and they continued preaching the gospel. If you mark or you highlight in your Bible, I would encourage you to highlight verse seven or underline that verse in your Bible. Verse 7 is the linking verse between our two scenes. If you were to stop at verse 6, you might leave here thinking that Paul and Barnabas were scared, so they just decided to leave town and run away from their enemies. But verse 7 shows us that that isn't the case. In fact, it's quite the opposite. In the face of perilous persecution, Paul and Barnabas displayed unwavering faith in Christ Jesus and the power of the gospel. Just like we saw last week in chapter 13, As soon as things started to get out of hand and things got to the point where the people in that town wanted them gone, they shake the dust off their feet and they continue moving on down the road. Then, as soon as they arrive at the next place, do they park their gospel mobile behind a bush and hide and wait to see if they've been followed? No, not at all. Quite the opposite. They go about doing the same thing they did in the last town, the same thing they did in the town before that, And the same thing they did in the town before that. They continued preaching the gospel with boldness in Christ. How is that? How is it that Paul and Barnabas have the courage or even the resilience to get back up again after getting knocked down and continue preaching the gospel when everywhere they go they're faced with persecution? It's because the Holy Spirit sustained Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. After everything they've been through, you would hope that their faithfulness has paid off. Hopefully it's going to be super easy for these guys in Lystra. Nothing but clear winds and smooth sailing from here on out. Right? Wrong. So wrong. Well, I wish I could say that was the case. Unfortunately, I'm afraid we're going to see things go from bad to worse once again as we observe the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with proclaiming the gospel. So once again, we hear those famous words from our narrator this morning as we tune back in from our commercial break. When we last left off our gospel crusaders, they were shaking the dust off their feet and headed to Lystra to proclaim the saving message of Jesus Christ. Will things go better for Paul and Barnabas in this new town? Let's continue reading and find out. Look with me at chapter 14, starting in verse 8. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet. He had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, "'Stand up on your feet!' And he jumped up and began to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, "'The gods have come down to us in human form!' Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this, and they rushed into the crowd shouting, "'People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you.'" We are proclaiming good news to you, that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. Although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, They barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they were over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up, went into the town, and the next day he left with Barnabas for Derbe. So Paul and Barnabas are preaching in Lystra. They're sharing the message of the gospel in this new town and praise God, a man who has never been able to walk is healed by Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is good news. This is amazing news. Unfortunately, rather than giving praise to God for this miraculous healing work that is accomplished in this man's life, the townspeople get it in their heads that Paul and Barnabas are in fact gods themselves. And then their delusion... They decide they want to worship them rather than the true God of the universe. That's the bad part of the story. God heals this man who's been crippled since birth. And the next thing you know, the priest of Zeus is bringing out wreaths and bulls with the intention of offering sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. Talk about a sticky situation. How do our gospel crusaders get themselves out of this one? Immediately. Without any hesitation, Paul and Barnabas rush into the crowd, shouting and yelling at the people to not offer sacrifices to them, but rather turn from their false idols and worship the one true God. Regrettably, Paul and Barnabas' intervention has little to no effect on the crowd of disillusioned town folk. Verse 18 says, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Talk about a bad situation. Picture in your mind what is happening here. I could just see the people crowding in around them, shouting praises to their name in the Lyconian language, ignoring anything and everything that Paul and Barnabas have to say. I could see Paul and Barnabas turn and look at one another, thinking to themselves, how can this get any worse? I mean, what next could possibly happen? Well, buckle up, folks. Because <laughs> things are about to go from bad to worse and quick don't look now but paul and barnabas's friends from antioch and iconium you know the ones that wanted to have paul stoned they followed their tire tracks and they found them in lystra (laughs) and they're seeking to win the crowds over against them forget the penguin and the joker this is far (laughs) worse we're about to have an angry mob on our hands Look again at verse 19 with me and see how this bad situation turns ugly. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Okay, time out. Let's hit the pause button for just a moment. This is one verse. It's only a few words. And if you aren't careful, we could read right past this verse, move on to verse 20, and miss the gravity of what has just happened here. Let's unpack verse 19 a little bit, shall we? I read this verse, and I immediately heard that narrator's voice in my head again. Is this the end for our gospel crusaders? Imagine what this must have looked like. Imagine what it felt like for Paul. If this had happened to Batman, we would have seen words flashing on the screen as people threw stones at him. Pow! Bam! Ouch! Smash! (laughs) But this isn't television. No one's eating breakfast cereal as they watch these events unfold. This is real life, folks. This actually happened. This isn't Hollywood. This is Lystra. And these aren't fake punches. These are rocks. Scratch that. These are more than rocks. These are boulders. When we read about being stoned in the Bible, I don't think many of us fully comprehend the gravity of the situation. These aren't a bunch of young kids on a playground throwing small rocks at each other. These are grown men and women picking up boulders the size of bowling balls and hucking them at Paul. One person picks up an 11-pound rock. Another person picks up a 17-pound boulder and someone else a 20-pound rock, and they huck them at Paul. They throw them at his head, one after another, and they spew anger and hatred upon Paul. Then, when Paul has quit moving, and it appears that he is finally dead, two or three of the men drag him through the dirt, the muck, and the mud, past the city gates, past town, and they leave him there. This is a dire situation laid out before us. Actually, it's more than that. It's tragic, it's gruesome and it's disgusting. And the worst part is, this isn't some imaginary superhero on TV. This is Paul. Guys, this is Paul, Hello. This is a disciple of Christ Jesus, a bond servant of Christ. The man gave up the leisure life of selling camping tents and camping accessories in order to proclaim the gospel in places where Christ's name had yet to be known. And rather than a single dam, damsel in distress tied to a set of railroad tracks, there's an entire community filled with brokenness and of people who have been condemned to die. And each rock or boulder that these people hurl at Paul is a picture of the accusations and the hatred that had been hurled at Christ and the sins that were placed upon that cross on Calvary. Paul has all but died to share the gospel in both of these towns. He's all but given his life to share the love of Christ, who did in fact die to redeem them from their sins and to rescue them out of the darkness. Talk about irony. Thankfully, we don't have to wait to tune in next week to find out what happens, because we find out in the very next verse what happens and whether Paul is in fact dead. Is this the perilous end for our gospel, crusader? Has all of Paul's work been for nothing? Is Barnabas left to finish their missionary journey alone? No. Praise God, absolutely not. It's quite the opposite. Let's look again at verse 20, shall we? After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the town. Paul was mercifully stoned by the townspeople. He was trying to help save And he was rescued by the power of the gospel. He was drugged out of the city and was left for dead on the outskirts of town. Then, after everything was over, after everything was said and done, Paul gets back up, shakes the dust off his clothes, and walks back into the town. Did you catch that? What just happened? Batman never did that. Batman wouldn't have gotten back up and gone back. Who does that? Paul goes back into the town filled with the very people who hate him and despise him and want to kill him. How is that possible? I I could just see the conversation taking place between him and Barnabas as Barnabas is trying to talk some sense back into the sidekick here. Uh, Paul, I I think you might have took one too many boulders to the head, brother. (laughs) Like You want to go back into that town? These people tried to kill you, dude. Let's get out of here. Forget these guys. Let's go back to Antioch before it gets dark. Paul got back up, and he went back into the town. Who in her right mind does that? How is that even possible? Can we just stop for a moment and reflect on the powerful work here of the Holy Spirit that's happening in our story today? If you weren't able to see it before, I hope that you can see it now. I hope you see how the Holy Spirit sustained Paul for the work of ministry. The Holy Spirit sustained Paul for his work. That's the only way I could see someone like Paul going back into a town like this to proclaim the gospel to the very people who want him dead. That's not something Paul did on his own accord. That's not something that anyone would accomplish under their own strength. That's not something we would do by our own volition. Paul isn't focused on his concerns, though. He's focused on God's concerns. What matters to Paul is what matters to God. If what we've read today about Paul and Barnabas sounds familiar, it should. The difficulties that they dealt with, the people living in Iconium and Lystra, are the same type of persecutions that Christ faced. In one moment, they're praising Paul and Barnabas as gods, and the next they're trying to stone them to death. In one moment, the Jews are praising Jesus as Lord and King, and in the next, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It's easy to see the similarities between Christ and our brother missionaries within the contents of Scripture. But what about within our own lives? The same thing could be said of many of us here today that was said about those who crucified Christ. Have you ever gone from worshiping the Lord to wanting to remove him from your life completely? We aren't much different than these townspeople in Lystra. All of us have been just as guilty of worshiping false gods as they were. Be honest with yourself for a moment. Ask yourself this question, what idols are you worshiping today? What things have you placed in a higher priority in your life than that of Christ Jesus? I heard a pastor mention recently that Jesus Christ shouldn't be number one in your life. He said Christ shouldn't be in a list of priorities with other things within our lives. We always list God within a list of other important areas in our lives. It's always God, family, spouse, work, school, etc. This pastor challenged his audience with the idea that Christ shouldn't be contained within a list of others, but rather Christ should be in a category all on his own. God should be the main focus of our lives, and everything else should be secondary, so I ask this question again. Who are you worshiping today? Who or what in your life gets the bulk of your attention and focus? Social media? Politics or world affairs? Where you live or the type of car you drive? Brothers and sisters, we do ourselves a crave disservice when we worship the creation rather than the creator. My challenge for us this morning is the same challenge from Paul and Barnabas. Turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. And I realize that none of us set out to put anything ahead of God in our lives. But it can happen. All the same from time to time. Whether it's sports or hobbies or even our own careers. It's easy to get focused on the things of this world and become consumed with our fleshly desires rather than with godly concerns. Thankfully, God's Word reminds us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God may not have been the priority in your life yesterday or the day before that, but that doesn't mean that you can't make Him your priority today, tomorrow, and moving forward. I'm reminded of the opening verses to that old English hymn, Be Thou My Vision. I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry. But it says, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. My prayer for all of us today is that God would be our main focus today and every day. The only way that we can ensure that God is first in our lives is through the working of the Holy Spirit to grow us and to sanctify us each day. From our reading in God's Word, I hope you've seen how the Holy Spirit sustains people for the work of ministry. The Holy Spirit sustains the people of God for the work of ministry. The reality is, is that as Christians, we've all been tasked with the work of ministry. If you were with us last week, then you heard me share in the children's sermon how, as Christians, we have all been tasked with the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. Now, chances are pretty good that none of us have ever been in a situation where people want to kill us for our faith. But nevertheless, we still are responsible to share the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. Church, just as we heard from Paul this morning, Christ has not left himself without a witness here on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul reminds us, therefore, that we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on God's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. If you're sitting here today and you are not a Christian, hear my voice this morning. Be reconciled reconciled to god he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become righteous before him if you hear god's voice this morning calling you to follow him let's talk about what that means let's talk about what it means to follow christ die to yourself and find new life in him second corinthians five seventeen says if anyone is in christ he's a new creation the old has passed away see the new has come What a beautiful picture that is. What a beautiful picture that is of the salvific work of Christ accomplishes in the life of the believer. The old is gone. The new has come. Before we leave here today, we're going to witness this beautiful picture through the bold proclamation of the gospel. As David gets up and shares his testimony and confession in Jesus and then proclaims his decision to follow Christ and serve him through believer's baptism. Praise God. What a powerful witness for Christ. Church, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are witnesses of Christ's work just like Paul and Barnabas were. The same responsibilities that they had as missionaries are the same obligations that we have as Christians living in a mission field here in Utah. None of us are off the hook when it comes to sharing the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. I know sharing the gospel can be scary at times. I know that it can be frightening to talk to others about Jesus. The thought of hanging a door hanger on a stranger's door scares me to death. Literally, you can ask Pastor Brian. (laughs) But I've got good news for each and every one of us today. The same Holy Spirit that sustained Paul for the work of ministry is alive and well today, and he's living in you and me. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The Holy Spirit sustained Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. And the Holy Spirit will sustain you for the work that God has prepared for you to do as well. In just a few weeks as we continue through Acts, we're going to see Paul recruit a young man named Timothy to help him in this ministry of reconciliation. Eventually, after building Timothy up and equipping him for the work of ministry, the two will part ways. And they will continue in ministry separate from one another. So Paul, in turn, writes a letter to Timothy to encourage him while they are working separately in ministry. I want to read a part of that letter from Paul to Timothy for us this morning. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10-17. through Paul says, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and the sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving, and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, we're going to face hardships in this life. But the Holy Spirit is there to lead us, to guide us, and equip us for the work of ministry. There are going to be times when we're persecuted or looked down upon because of our faith in Christ. We're going to face persecution, but just like with Paul, God will rescue us from it, either in this life or in the one to come. Therefore, let us therefore go out and be his witnesses in Bountiful, in Salt Lake, in Farmington, in Davis County, and beyond. Sharing the gospel is hard. Living in a mission field is difficult. But thankfully, God has sent us a helper, His Holy Spirit, who will equip us and sustain us for the work of ministry so that when we're persecuted for our faith, rather than cowering in defeat, we can stand firm on the solid rock of Christ and boldly proclaim the gospel in His name. After Paul had been stoned by boulders the size of bowling balls, drug out of the city, and left for dead, the disciples gathered around him. And he got back up, and he went back into the town. Church, now that we've had the opportunity to gather together, the time has come to get back up. It's time to go back out into the mission field that God has called us to to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the example that we see here in Paul and Barnabas. Thank you for your sending us your Holy Spirit to sustain us and to equip us for the work of ministry. Lord, I pray that now that we've had a chance to gather together, to refuel, to be filled with you, Lord, and worship your holy name today. I pray that we'd be faithful to get back up, to go back out in the town, to be missionaries in the places where you call us, the places where we work, the places where we live, the places where we hang out, so that we too might be able to see others redeemed by the power of the gospel. Lord, I pray in times of persecution, in times where we're looked down upon or belittled or made fun of, Lord, or even worse, times when maybe we were abused or hurt because of our faith. Lord, that we would have the boldness to stand firm. Lord, that we would persevere to the end. That as we see with Paul, Lord, that we would inherit a crown of righteousness, that we would be found faithful, not because of our own works and the things that we've done, but because of the work that you've done through us, through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be faithful to be ambassadors of Christ Jesus proclaiming the gospel and asking other people to be reconciled to God. It's in your name, Lord, I pray. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit RedeemingLifeUtah.org.